It is my privilege to invite you to today's sermon podcast. I have made the Apostle Paul's prayer request my own. When he states in Ephesians six nineteen, pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, the words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. May today's sermon come alive to you and aid you in your understanding of God's plan for your life. Your reputation precedes you. The notion that you have uh, notoriety, that uh, your life and actions are well known long before you enter into a social setting or a situation. Sometimes it's, it's about the things that we do, the habits that we have. Um, if you've ever, anybody ever worked in a coffee shop? Riley, you, are you still working in coffee? So you, you know these kind of people that I'm talking about, like the, the sugar-free vanilla brevet guy, right? Right? Always gets the same thing. You don't even know their name, but you know they get a, they get a, a, a caramel mocha, but it has to be light on the ice or no foam or something like that, and they send it back if it's not the way they wanted it, right? Those are those people. Their reputation precedes them. Um, Sometimes it's uh, the way we interact with people. In our, in our midst today, um, probably on the live stream because they've been tuning in uh, via live stream lately, is uh, uh, Rod Price. Um, but my kids don't know him as Rod Price at all. They know him as the candy man. The candy man. Because every Sunday during greeting time, my kids would track Rod down because he always came with a pocket full of Jolly Ranchers and fireballs. Our reputation precedes us. Sometimes our reputation is attached to someone else. We garner reputation based on our relationships to other people. Um, At my earliest uh, phase of life, I had a reputation for being uh, that baby. Uh, That was uh, something my brother gave to me in in a sense of, Mom, when is that baby going to leave? Right, and for a long time I was that baby, and so uh, my mom decided, you know, we need to uh, we need to fix that. So we're not going to call him that baby anymore. He's he's baby Jason, um, and baby J for short. So I became baby J. That was my reputation. I'm 37 now, I'm still baby J. <laughs> right, but although my brother has uh, two daughters, they are uh, uh, eight and five. Uh, respectively, and to them I am Uncle Baby J. So, your reputation precedes you. Uh, my brother, for a long time, he had a nickname. It was uh, Chewy. It was Chewy Martindale. Nobody ever called him Tyler. They called him Chewy. And because of that, because of his notoriety, I had become, in middle school and early high school, uh, Chewy's little brother. That was my name, Chewy's little brother. But the, the ultimate reputational name that I received uh, in high school was the name uh, Fro, because I had the most amazing uh, afro in the land. Um, it was also at a time when I only got my hair cut once a year, on the 4th of July. And you ask why? It's because I can always remember my haircut day that was on the 4th of July. So my hair, I don't really grow sideburns. Um, I grow puffballs on the sides. Um, and by the time July 4th rolled around, I was the only 8th grader that could take my puffballs and, like, time at, at my chin, you know? I could never grow a, a manly, rugged beard like Dathan has, but I could, I could have a fake one that I tied in a knot, you know? Um, 
but because I had that hair, I was always getting compared uh, to, to celebrity people, you know, like famous people in, in music and movies and stuff. And, and for a time, I was uh, compared pretty regularly uh, in the early years of NSYNC with Justin Timberlake, who also only had an afro. That was the only comparison point that we had together, me and Mr. Timberlake. So um, I, was, I don't have the dance moves or the singing ability or, or any of the talent for that matter. But the ultimate comparison that I received most often was that of Napoleon Dynamite. I was regular, I wear glasses, I have curly hair. If you've ever seen Napoleon Dynamite, you're going, oh, I can see that a little bit, right? Yes. I just need a pair of moon boots and a Vote for Pedro t-shirt, and I, and I got the part, right? Our reputation precedes us for good or bad or positive or negative, um, for whatever it might be. Uh, we are known by the things we say, the people we look like, but often more than not by the things that we do. And today's uh, passage of Scripture um, talks about the reputation of Jesus. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 today. Um, Our passage talks about uh, Jesus' reputation, which was gained uh, by the verbs of Jesus' life, by the things that he did. And we'll find out that uh, his reputation uh, went far-reaching during his time in the community of Galilee and throughout the known world and even to Homedale, Idaho today. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 23 through 25. So if you would stand uh, for the reading of the, of the word of the Lord, Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 25. The word of the Lord says this, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us today, for your word, for, for the verbs of Jesus, for the actions and deeds that he engaged in uh, during his ministry here on earth. We pray that you would give us wisdom as we look at just a couple of the verbs of Jesus today, that we would recognize his unique way of living and doing and that we would apply that in our lives as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Losing my papers. The first thing that I want to emphasize from this passage is the commitment that Jesus makes to his craft. Jesus is dedicated to the task at hand. Mark 4.23 states that Jesus went throughout Galilee. According to the Zondervan Pictorial Encyclopedia of the Bible, the region of Galilee is about 60 miles long from north to south and about 30 miles wide east to west, which calculates to 1,800 square miles, give or take a foot. For reference, the state of Delaware is approximately 1,955 square miles. 
In our modern time, that doesn't seem like much of a big deal. A car could drive across Galilee in less than an hour. For some of us, less than a half hour because of the way that I know you all drive. Your reputation precedes you. Traveling north to south, south to north, east to west, or west to east. But in the first century, when the primary mode of transportation was walking, it would be quite an endeavor to trek out uh, what our text describes as being throughout Galilee. The Jewish historian Josephus states that there were about three million people living in the region of Galilee at the time, and that Jesus visited most of the 200 towns and cities that resided there. This is an amazing endeavor. Jesus was working in a land that was as big as Delaware, with a population roughly the size of Idaho and Montana combined, going from place to place. This is dedication on part of our Savior, and should be noted because I can almost guarantee that there are few in our modern time who would be willing to travel so much by foot with such little amenities as this itinerant Galilean did in the first century. And let's take a moment to appreciate the humility of Jesus to get up and go as he did. It would have been much easier for Jesus to set up shop in a central location and shout out, come to me, come to me. But instead, he went to the people, to their towns, to their communities, to the far-reaching places, to the centers of their communities. What an example he has set for us As the word says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. So what did Jesus do in the midst of all this traveling? Our text gives us three different verbs, actions that Jesus engaged in during his time of ministry in Galilee. I have written that these verbs in your bulletin as a way um, that attaches to Jesus. It's, It's part of his reputation. It's a characteristic of his life. The first verb in our text depicts Jesus as a teacher. 4.23 of Matthew says, Jesus was teaching in the synagogues. The Beacon Bible Commentary notes that the synagogue was the center of Jewish community life. The synagogue served as the local place for worship. It served as a school for the boys. Even the local courts of the Jews were connected to the synagogue. Uh, Pastor and theologian Dr. George A. Buttrick is quoted to describe the synagogue as both school, local council, and church. It was the main hub of life in the community in which it was based. The Bible does not give us an official explanation for the development of the synagogue system, but it seems pretty reasonable that the Jews developed this new system of gathering together after the temple was destroyed, and also when they found themselves in captivity. The Beacon Bible Commentary notes that the Greek translation of the word synagogue means a gathering together. Like our usage of the word church, it denoted both the people and the place where the gathering took place. Jesus went into the hubs of the communities of Galilee. He taught people about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. So what did he teach? Here are just a few examples that I have only included the references for in your passages, in your bulletins, I mean. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Do not throw your pearls to swine. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and to the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Do to others what you would have them do to you. If you have a faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mountains, move from here to there, and it will move. And finally, many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. This would be some revolutionary teaching in the first century Jewish community. Jesus is hitting the people of Galilee with some knowledge. And how did the people respond? The 13th chapter of Matthew depicts Jesus going to his hometown in Nazareth of Galilee. This is the community in which he grew up. He came home to teach in the synagogue there, and the people were amazed because they knew Jesus' family. They said, isn't this the carpenter's son? They took offense to him because they did not think he was worthy of teaching these revolutionary ideas like blessing those who are meek, and that the first will be last and the last will be first. When we look at Jesus' teaching, even through the lens of the 21st century, we find that it is still revolutionary today. It still has the power to change lives and to change the world. So how do we respond to the teaching of Jesus? We respond by applying His teachings to our everyday lives. We hear the words, the teachings of Jesus, and we apply them. We live out those teachings. The result of this is simple, but it is profound. Jesus said in John 5, 24, Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. The teachings of Jesus have life-changing power, and we have a responsibility to apply them in each every day of our lives. The next verb Jesus used to de- that's used to depict Jesus is that of proclaimer. Our text notes that Jesus was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Some translations say he was preaching the good news of the kingdom. What is this kingdom he proclaimed? The Matthew Henry commentary notes the kingdom is the kingdom of heaven, that is, of grace and glory. It is emphatically the kingdom, the kingdom that was now to come, the kingdom which shall survive as it doth surpass all the kingdoms of the earth. This kingdom would stand above and beyond all others, but it would not look like the kingdoms of man that existed throughout history. It wouldn't look like the great empires of Rome or Babylon or Assyria. It would not even look like the kingdoms of David and Solomon that had once ruled in Israel and Judea. This was a completely different kingdom, a kingdom that transcends political boundaries and geographical limitations. And it was revolutionary in how it viewed the world and people. 
Here is a sampling of some of the proclamations that Jesus made about the kingdom. Here in your bulletin, I have included just the chapter in Matthew where each proclamation takes place. So you'll have to go home and read the full text to get the full effect. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, This kingdom belongs to those who are poor in spirit and to those who are persecuted because of righteousness, but not the powerful. He didn't say anything about the powerful. In chapter 13, Jesus declared that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, or like a mustard seed, or like yeast that a woman worked into dough, or like a treasure hidden in a field, or like a merchant looking for fine pearls, or a net let down into a lake. In chapter 18, he decreed that we must become like children if we ever hope to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And in chapter 19, he rebuked his disciples for keeping children away from him, saying, quote, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Clearly, this kingdom of heaven is not the norm. It's not the expectation that those in the synagogues of the first century might have had for the people of Israel, for the world in general. It is a kingdom for the weak for the downtrodden, for the one with childlike faith. This is the kingdom that Jesus proclaimed, a kingdom that acts justly and loves mercy and walks humbly with God. It's a kingdom that gives its citizens abundantly more than they deserve. It is a kingdom that gives life and life to its fullest extent. So how do we respond to these proclamations of Jesus about the kingdom of heaven. We must do our due diligence and announce them to others. That is the exact instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples when he sent them out. In chapter 10 of the book of Matthew, we find Jesus instructing his disciples to go out and proclaim that the kingdom of heaven has come near. We too are in charge of proclaiming this kingdom as the Son of God lives in our hearts and reigns supreme as Lord and Savior and friend, we are encouraged and challenged and admonished to do the great work of building His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. But what do we proclaim specifically? Well, we are charged in Matthew 6.33 to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you as well. We proclaim His kingdom, His righteousness. We preach, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.23, we preach Christ crucified. Paul writes again in 2 Corinthians 4.5, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. We show and share what the Lord has done both in us, in our lives, and what He is doing through us. That is how we issue the proclamations of Jesus. We announce them to others and we show that the kingdom of heaven is near by showing and sharing our experiences with Christ as the leader in our lives. The last verb in this passage describes Jesus as a healer. Matthew writes that Jesus was healing every disease and sickness among the people. Jesus was healing 
a variety of ailments, physical ailments, those uh, suffering from various diseases, those suffering from severe pain, uh, paralytics were being healed. He was, he was helping mental uh, ailments. Um, there is a, a body of research that says that seizures can be both a physical response and a mental response, but he was healing people from seizures. He was also healing spiritually those who were possessed by demons. From the Matthew Henry commentary, again, there are diseases which are called the reproach of physicians, being obstinate to all methods they can prescribe. But even those were the glory of this physician, for he healed them all, regardless of how long the patient had suffered. His word was the true Pan pharmacon, all healing. Body, mind, and spirit, Jesus can and will heal. Jesus takes those who believe in him and he, he restores them into new creations. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that anyone in Christ is a new creation. And further, in Revelations 21.5, Jesus, the one who sits on the throne, declares... I am making all things new. Write it down because it is trustworthy and true. This great physician, he gave up his life so that we might have life abundantly, eternally. This great physician reaches out to us. In Matthew 11, he calls to us, the the heavy burdened ones, the weary ones, to go to him, to receive rest respite from the burdens that weigh us down, a reprieve from that which makes us weary. He comes with the prescription of life, and life to the fullest it can possibly be this side of heaven. So how do we respond to the healing of Jesus? I believe that we take every opportunity to be a physician's assistant. Now, you all have heard of a PA, Right? You go to see your doctor, and you've scheduled this appointment months in advance, and you get in there, and you find out, oh, you're not actually seeing your doctor. You're seeing the physician's assistant, and you don't even know that guy, right? The physician's assistant, he has all the authority to look over your charts, to write out a prescription, but he's not your doctor. Well, you need to get over it. He's doing his best, okay? Give him a break. But we can be physician's assistants in this world. We can administer the healing of Jesus Christ to those in need. Now, I will grant, I I don't know of anybody in this room who has the spiritual gift of healing, nor um, do we have anybody with doctoral training to mend the body. We have some, some EMT people. We have some nurses. But I do believe we can do our part nonetheless. One way I think we can do a real simple and practical way of helping with physical healing is by supporting those that have the gifts and skills to do it. Did you know that the Church of the Nazarene supports health programs and initiatives all around the world? Did you know that the Church of the Nazarene runs a full hospital in Papua New Guinea in the Asia-Pacific field? In 2022, the Nazarene Hospital there had 57,579 outpatient visits, 
7,244 admissions into the hospital, 2,866 babies born, 341 of which were C-sections, 1,088 major surgeries, and 473 minor surgical procedures. Through the work of quality medical care, the Church of the Nazarene is showing the love of God, bringing physical healing and the spiritual healing that comes with it. We can support physical healing like this, which I believe goes a long way to building up the kingdom of heaven. We can support physical healing by providing for people's physical needs when we have the opportunity to do so. Our church does this often through partnerships with groups like Nazarene Missions International, Hands of Hope Northwest, Love Inc., Lifeline Pregnancy Care Center, Angel Tree, Operation Christmas Child, Because International and the Shoe That Grows. All of these places and others provide practical care to help people with their physical needs. We can support mental healing by bearing one another's burdens praying for one another, lending support to, and assistance to individuals and families in times of crisis. We can be sounding boards, or maybe we're just walls that bear the brunt of vented frustration. We can share our hurts and challenges that we have faced and overcame in our lives because often people who experience challenges think that no one else has ever been through what they have been through. Our lives our shortcomings, and our victories can be the mental encouragement that some people so desperately need. Finally, we can support relational healing in our midst by setting the example for what the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ looks like. We can show people the proper way to respond when we have been wronged and also when we have wronged others. We can help people seek forgiveness, and we can generously give forgiveness, even when it may not be possible to physically forgive someone who has hurt someone. We can support relational healing by supporting marriages and families with kids. We can support single people, and we can celebrate singleness just as much as we celebrate marriages and families. I will freely admit that that is one that I fall prey to. This notion that because an individual is single that they are somehow unwhole or incomplete or they're just missing that piece of their life. I've been in that position and I've said, oh, he's a nice guy or she's a nice girl. I know someone that they should meet. Trying to play little matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match, right? And it falls in its face, right? my best intentions, harming others. We can encourage our single brothers and sisters to continue on in their faith journey and not make them feel less than they are because they are not in a romantic relationship. We can laugh with the happy. We can mourn with the grieving. We can take that young family's kids for the night so they can go out for the first time in ages and reconnect. Strong relationships, healthy relationships build healthy people, and healthy churches. Often, when we administer physical, mental, 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 and relational healing, I'm just making up words today. When we administer physical, mental, and relational healing, 
I think people are more inclined to receive spiritual healing as well. We can't do the spiritual healing, but we can get out of the way and point them to Jesus. Through our lives and the example we set and through the intentional actions that we engage in, we can heal, but we can lead them to the ultimate healer who is Christ. So the final question that needs to be addressed is this, are we Are we willing to dedicate ourselves to the task that Jesus has set before us? He has set the example of the dedicated worker. Are we willing to take on these verbs of Jesus, of teaching and proclaiming and healing, and are we willing to utilize them in our own lives? Are we willing to sacrifice ourselves to be poured out for the sake of the gospel? Will we be the stewards of God's redemption plan? Or will we rest on the side waiting for others to do that which God has called each one of us to do? I speak from the heart when I say that taking on the verbs of Jesus is not for the faint of heart. It takes guts, takes commitment, takes endurance. Jesus, I believe, he described these verbs in a different way. He told his followers to take up their cross and follow him. This is a tall task set before each one of us, but we don't do it on our own because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, whose grace is sufficient for each one of us in our time of need. My hope for each one of us is that we can turn to Him for power and wisdom and courage as we seek to know God's will and use the verbs of Jesus to build the glorious kingdom of heaven here on earth. There is an English pop singer that's named Colum Scott. He has a song uh, that's popular called uh, Love You at Your Worst. The opening line of the song states this, You know, I love you at your worst. I'll be right beside you when it hurts. Don't you know I would die for you? That's the least that you deserve. Now, the song is clearly written for a secular audience, for a romantic relationship, but I can't help but see the heart of a Savior in those words. Of course, the romantic singer says, oh, I would die for you. But Paul writes that very rarely would someone give up their life for another, even being daring enough to die. But God demonstrates His love for us in this, that while we were yet still sinners... Christ died for us, the ungodly ones. Jesus Christ loves us at our worst. And unlike what the song says, we are so undeserving of that unyielding love, and He still gives it to us freely. The gift of God that is everlasting life in Christ Jesus. Maybe today you are at your worst. God loves you right where you are at, and He wants to be in relationship with you. Before we serve communion, I'd like to give anyone in this room an opportunity to experience the heart of a loving God who knows everything about you and loves you anyways, and who sent His Son to teach and proclaim and heal, but to ultimately give up His life for us. This loving God was sent 
to seek and save that. He sent his son to seek and save that which was lost. And he waits patiently that we might have the opportunity to come to repentance, to ask for forgiveness of sins and be reconciled with him. If you'd like to pray a redemption prayer today, I would gladly lead you in that. It's a simple prayer that asks God for forgiveness of sins, that asks Jesus to come into your life and to be your Lord and Savior and friend. It is a commitment prayer, committing to love God and follow Him and share His love with others. You can pray this prayer with me silently or out loud. Either way, uh, you can pray it and repeat it after me. Dear God, thank you for your love that sent Jesus Christ who taught people how they should live, who proclaimed your kingdom, who healed so many. But more than anything, who is the one who died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sin. I'm sorry for the ways I have wronged you. I ask now for forgiveness of my sin and for Jesus to come into my life to be my Lord and Savior and friend. I commit my life and my ways to you that I might know your love Follow your will and show and share your love with others. Thank you again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to thank you for joining today's sermon podcast. You can find a copy of today's sermon as well as other sermons and the sermon outline from today on our church's website, www dot mvcnaz dot org. It is my prayer also that you will seek out a church home that recognizes the authority of the Bible.